Thank you, Alan. I've got my stopwatch. Um, um, <clears throat> but um, I've also, it means that I'm, I'm getting constant updates from Tom Finnamore and, and commentary. So there we go. Um, I'm going to start by, um, by reading, uh, we're back to Nehemiah. I'm going to start by reading from Nehemiah. I'm not going to read all of it, but the bits I am going to read will be behind me on the screen. So Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 38. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Then there's a lot of names that I'm not going to read. Picking up in verse 28. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand. All these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves the curse and an oath to follow the law of God, given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our Lord. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us, or take their daughters for our sons. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God, for the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths at the new moon, new moon feasts and at the appointed festivals, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the duties of the house of our God. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God to the priests the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all our trees and of our new wine and olive oil, and we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes, and the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms, where the articles for the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the musicians are also kept. We will not neglect the house of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we, um, we have a marvellous inheritance from God and his faithful people. This community here at STC is a, is a living parable of what I'm about to say. But to those whom much is given, much will be asked. I met with Tom this week, earlier in the week, to talk about the talk. And um, he said, have you got any gags? And I said, no. And I said, have you got any anecdotes then? And I, I couldn't think of any. And it, it sort of preyed on my mind all week. And I began to panic that I hadn't got an anecdote. So I, I, in the end, I went out and bought a Labrador. <laughs> the, problem, the problem with the Labrador is it was really well behaved. So I had to take it back. <laughs> I've got a cat. And I've been watching it really closely. But it hasn't done anything at all relevant to the sermon. 
So, uh, so no anecdotes, I'm afraid. This morning, I want to say that one of the key themes of the Bible is couldn't. The people of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day had a narrow view of their covenant responsibilities. But we can and should take a broader view because of Jesus. Covenant is an agreement in the Bible between God and people. And in the Bible, it's an unequal covenant with God favoring our side of the agreement. We give God everything that we have and he gives us everything that he has. And you can imagine that's an unequal bargain. Now the passage. This passage is just a snapshot, obviously, out of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, is a snapshot of the Bible's grand narrative. I don't want to re-preach chapter 9, but today's reading starts with in view of this. So we need to have in our minds, in view of what? Actually, we live our lives in view of this, or we should. So what's the this? The this is salvation history, the story of God and people. And very briefly, we're going to take a look at the big picture so we can usefully interpret this passage and perhaps see a way forward for our own lives and within our lives, God's purposes for us. So we need to go back to the beginning and have a bit of a whistle-stop tour through the story so far. Are you ready? Strap in. Genesis chapter 1. God created people and gave them three tasks. Bearing his image, gardening or stewarding creation, and fruitful multiplication. Image bearing is about belonging to God. Stewarding is about continuing the work of making the chaotic wilderness into a well-ordered garden. And fruitful multiplication is about multiplying fruitfully. Okay, that's Genesis 1 and 2. Three things for us to partner in with God. Then, chapter 3, Adam and Eve decide against it. We have the fall and the plan goes off track. A downward spiral occurs. Noah and the ark, the Tower of Babel, Genesis 3 to 11, the opposite of those three things that we're supposed to be doing occur. Instead of bearing God's image, we get idolatry. Man's image replaces God's image. And subsequently, pagan gods replace man's image. Gardening and stewardship get forgotten. And the wilderness becomes a place of bad stewardship, of injustice. While multiplication happens, it's unfruitful, a multiplication of evil. If we close the book at the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, things are not looking good. However, God acts. He begins to enact his rescue plan in Genesis 12 through Abraham. God makes various covenants to get everything back on track. Various covenants. I will bless you, says God, and through you I will bless the nations, and you will be the father of many nations. However, Abraham's people eventually end up as slaves in Egypt. Now, I haven't got time to go through that whole story, but if you want a full treatment 
of that, um, that whole story about the, the going into Egypt, I can recommend a couple of good Old Testament scholars who have done quite a bit of work on this. Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice. Okay, think about it. Um, in Egypt, um, they are oppressed by foreign gods again. They are oppressed by idols. Uh, they are dealt with unjustly by evil stewards. And although they multiply, they are captives. So God again delivers them. Moses, the Passover, they pass through the Red Sea. Another covenant at Mount Sinai. Commandments, the Ten Commandments and so forth. Back on track. Commissioned again to be image bearers, a holy nation. Stewards, a kingdom of priests, which is now couched in terms of justice and fairness. Jubilee, how they treat outsiders. And fruitful multiplication, the 12 tribes in their own land. Things go wrong again almost straight away. And through the period of judges and through the period of the kingdoms, there's a constant theme of idolatry. Poor stewardship and not fruitful multiplication, but turning inwards. Eventually, God's presence leaves them, as recorded in Ezekiel 10. Then the temple is destroyed and they go into exile. In exile, they struggle with idolatry. That's the book of Daniel. And they struggle with injustice. That's the book of Esther. And again, they're restricted in how and where and when they can multiply. And all that brings us back to the start of Nehemiah, back into the land and back to today's passage. So, back to Nehemiah. A quick overview of the passage, including the relevant bits of chapter 9. In verses 8 to 15, the people have a view of the covenants made by Abraham and Moses, but their view is centered around the land, the land that they've just come back to. The people acknowledge their own rebellion and disobedience, and they acknowledge that God remained faithful to his side of the covenant. And at the end of chapter 9, in the first verse we heard today, they decide to recommit to that existing covenant relationship. They're all involved in chapter 10, not just the leaders. There's a long list of names. I didn't read it, partly because it was a long list of names and partly because I can't pronounce half of them. They all commit to helping the work of the temple by giving time and energy and money. And that's what's going in chapter 10. Two themes emerge. Two themes out of chapter 10. The first is renewal of covenant. And the second is everybody getting involved. So firstly, let's look at covenant. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. It could easily have been that we had the Old Covenant and the New Covenant because the words are synonymous. Covenant is at the heart, therefore, of Scripture. As we've seen, it's the method that God chose to get the world back on track after the fall in Genesis 3. And that track for humans is to be image bearers and gardeners and to multiply fruitfully. Now, just, just a quick aside. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, the garden wasn't the whole world. The whole world still required them to go and garden in it. And although I'm not a gardener, my wife's a gardener, I'm not a gardener, um, in, the, in, in what we're talking about 
after Adam and Eve and outside of the garden, what we're talking about in the world isn't literally gardening. It's bringing order to a chaotic world. So when you think about all the things that disorder our world and make it chaotic, we think about injustice and we think about poverty and we think about inequality. When we think about being stewards and gardeners, our job is to combat those things. And you can see in the, in the main themes of the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, it talks an awful lot about idolatry. It talks an awful lot about us bearing a different image than the image of God. It talks an awful lot about injustice. Jeremiah, before the exile, warns them that if they're not looking after the orphan and the widow and the alien and the stranger, they will not stay in the land. And then they don't stay in the land. So idolatry and injustice are the twin themes of the Old Testament. And the, the whole idea of multiplication and reaching out to the nations somehow gets lost. So when the people in Nehemiah are recognising their story so far in chapter 9 and resolving to recommit themselves, they're doing all that with that in their minds. That's what they're thinking about. They're thinking about that covenant, those covenants that they made with God. And although I think they're acknowledging that story, I'm going to argue that they misunderstood or at least didn't appreciate the full consequences of their covenant relationship with God. So how does that apply to us in the new covenant, I hear you ask? So how does that apply to us in the new covenant, I hear you ask? Well, I'll tell you then. <laughs> Since the old covenant is fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament, we, will, we could follow the old covenant, the flow of that covenant in this passage through Paul, looking at Galatians and 1 Corinthians. However, because in chapter 10, the references are keeping the law of Moses, we're going to look at the Sinai covenant with Moses and trace that through the New Testament, courtesy of 1 Peter. So when, when, the, when the Nehemiahs are committing themselves, this is, the, this is one of the bits of the Bible they've got in their mind. I'm going to read it out. It's Exodus 19. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So what's God saying? The idolatry of the Egyptian gods, the injustice of slavery, and the restriction of living in a foreign land held you captive and stopped you fulfilling your side of the covenant. I have rescued you from Egypt, and already you are back in relationship with me. Now if you obey me and keep my covenant... If you obey me and keep my covenant, you can get back on track with the threefold plan. Image bearing, stewarding, fruitful multiplication. God is not saying, if you keep the covenant, you will be saved. 
salvation has happened. God is making this covenant after he has rescued them by grace from Egypt. Covenant keeping is not about salvation. Because salvation for the Israelites has already happened. God has rescued them by his grace from the slavery of Egypt, out of idolatry, into this place that they're in now. The Mosaic Covenant is not about earning salvation. It's about what happens after God has saved them by grace. As, just as he chose Abraham by grace. And as the Abrahamic Covenant was about blessing the whole world through Abraham, so the Sinai Covenant is about getting the threefold world blessing task back on track through the whole nation of Israel. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, when we read Nehemiah 9 and look forward a bit in the coming weeks to the final chapters of Nehemiah, we see a much narrower understanding of the covenant in the minds of the people in Jerusalem rebuilding the walls. There's nothing about being a kingdom of priests. There's nothing about being a blessing to the nations. Everything is focused down on their security and their ability or not to remain in the land. Although they're committing to the covenant, they're doing it without remembering or recognising the wider consequences. Remember, God didn't make the covenant for them. He made the covenant with them for the rest of humanity to get it back on track. So, now fast forward to the New Testament and Peter's take on that same idea of the Mosaic Covenant. 1 Peter 2, starting at verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. Once you were not a people. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter echoes the Sinai passage, but he remembers the wider consequences. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Live differently so you may witness to the world so that humanity can get back on track. Peter reminds his hearers the covenant is not for them, but in order for God's purpose in the world. Always and ever, covenant is about mission. So, covenant keeping then. If covenant keeping is the key to keeping God's purposes for his creation on track, then how does it work? Well, frankly, if it's left to us, it doesn't work. The Nehemiahs, the Nehemiahs couldn't keep it despite their promises and their best efforts. 
they committed themselves again. They're going to do all these things. We're going to sort the temple out, have the priests, and the, we're going to get all the wood and the third of a shekel and all of that. Fast forward three, four hundred years, they're in no better position. They've just swapped one set of oppressors for another. The Romans are in charge. In fact, they're being oppressed in their own land. They failed to keep their side of the bargain. We can't judge them harshly. We couldn't keep the covenant either. If getting into, if getting into heaven was up to you, you wouldn't get there. And neither would I. God, however, is faithful to the idea of covenant. He's faithful to his promises. And his, his, faithful, his covenant faithfulness, God's covenant faithfulness is what we call righteousness. So in the end, we must rely on Jesus. He provides a way for us to reconnect with God on the cross, our salvation. At the same time, by his blood, he ratifies a new covenant. If you read 1 Peter 1, which we're not going to do now, Peter makes it clear that it is the death of Jesus that provides both our salvation in the new Passover and also a new Sinai covenant. So getting the mission back on its threefold track. We are rescued again in that new Passover. Jesus died, didn't he, at the Passover festival. He's the lamb that was slain. His blood is on the doorpost. We are rescued again from those idols that kept people uh, in bondage to sin and in slavery. We are delivered again by grace. This time by Jesus. This time from the idols of our own making. We're just taking communion. We've just taken communion to prove it. To prove that we are in the new covenant. God is holding up both ends of the deal. Again, we haven't time to go into this. But the obedience to God's covenant of the God-man Jesus allows us to be counted as if we are keeping it. We call this grace. God fulfilling our side of the covenant and crediting it, crediting it to us. So what are the consequences then of this new covenant? A kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Through Jesus' faithfulness to the covenant, we're back on track. And so the three things come into view again. Firstly, bearing the image of God through Jesus, not image-bearing other things. Bearing the image of God through Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ, says Paul, and I no longer live, but he lives in me. We've, we've heard that said, haven't we? When God looks at us, he sees Jesus. We are bearing the image of God through Jesus. That's our role. Bringing about justice in the wilderness of the world, where there's the chaos of injustice. Turn on the telly, or don't even turn on the telly. Get on your phone, wherever. We see injustice all around us. Inequality. People suffering. That is not God's plan for his world. But the people who are going to do something about it are us. Thirdly, multiplying fruitfully to allow image-bearing and justice to increase across, across God's world. If they'd stayed in Israel, well, that was the mistake they made. They stayed in Israel under the Old Covenant. If they stayed in Jerusalem under the New Covenant, then we wouldn't be sat here today. Every church has been planted at some, some time by somebody. 
So what does that mean for us? What's our takeaway? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the relationship with God is restored to covenant. The covenant is counted as fulfilled and a new unbreakable covenant is in process. Therefore, stop trying to live a good life in order to be loved by God or to find salvation in him. It doesn't work. You can't do it. He's done it for you. It's grace. Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Therefore, do these three things not to become the people, but because you are the people. Do these three things not to receive mercy, but because you have received mercy. Number one, be an image bearer. Maybe you've been trying to affect your own salvation, but you are rescued, you are saved by grace. Therefore, in the New Testament, Jesus, Peter, Paul, we read it everywhere. The whole New Testament says, live a life worthy of your salvation, your rescue. Live a kind, generous, merciful, spirit-filled, and so on and so on life. Do this so that people might see Jesus in you, his image, and give God the glory. Be an image bearer. Secondly, be a steward. Maybe you're trying to put the world right out of fear or disappointment. But it's God's world and his plan to make it right. And he partners with us in that mission. So be a justice bringer, a peacemaker. Where there's chaos, where there's suffering, work with the Holy Spirit to put things right. Be a gardener, be a, be a steward. The world's not how God wants it to be. All, the garden, all in the garden is not rosy. There is injustice everywhere. Food banks, an obvious example of something that we're doing already. Christians Against Poverty, campaigning on behalf of refugees, welcoming the Ukrainians, other things that you already might be doing. Be a steward of God's creation. And finally, be a multiplier. It seems at this time that God is calling us at STC and across the region, both Anglicans and Baptists, to multiply through church planting, church grafting, through starting new things. Going back to the passage, the Nehemiahs may not have understood their full calling as part of the covenant, but they understood that everyone played a part. We, we, that's all the listed people, we will not neglect the house of our God. They brought what they had to help with the work. It was a collective effort. They, like the generations before them, had forgotten the multiplying call inherent in the covenant, but they remembered that they were all God's people. Now, we have a reasonably good track record here at STC of multiplying out, but sometimes we forget, and we draw in, and we build the temple, and we neglect our mission. Now is a chance to look out, to multiply for fruitfulness, to multiply the image-bearing, justice-bringing work of God's kingdom. And we do that by resting in the fulfillment of the new covenant, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us, Ephesians 1. And God guides us when we see that in Pentecost. We see that in Acts. In conclusion then, and it says here, call band out. Call band out. Thank you. (laughs) 
I don't know whether you were also spellbound or whether you'd nodded off at that point, but anyway. In conclusion then, the people of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day were responding to God's covenant plan to get humanity back on track. Unfortunately for them, their vision was too narrow and their own efforts were ultimately to no avail. The people of STC, that's us, in 2022, we're in a better position. We have the new covenant in Jesus' blood. We have the new covenant in Jesus' blood. You have the new covenant in Jesus' blood. We are image bearers by virtue of being in Christ already. We are called to be justice bringers and multipliers of God's kingdom. We are led and partnered by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Amen. Now, as the band are going to play, I guess, from some songs and whatnot, we're going, to, <laughs> we're going to give opportunity to respond. So I've got some questions. How do you want to respond this morning? So some of you may want to write a letter to the vicar complaining about the quality of guest speakers. Others of you uh, might want to think about rediscovering or discovering for the first time Christ in you, the image of God to step into that new covenant. Maybe you're a visitor this morning, maybe you've sat there for a few weeks, maybe a few months, a few years, you've never entered into that new covenant with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe that's what you want to do this morning. If you do, come forward, we'll pray for you. You might be wanting to be empowered by, by God's Holy Spirit to be a justice maker, a steward, a gardener. Maybe you want to be empowered by God's Holy Spirit to be a multiplier, taking that image-bearing, justice-bringing work around the place. Either way, if you want to see uh, uh, to be part of that call, then come forward again. We'll pray for you. I had put, be filled with the Holy Spirit again. But we're not doing being filled with the Holy Spirit for no reason. We're being doing, we're being, doing being filled with the Holy Spirit for a purpose this morning. To be an image bearer. To be a justice bringer. To be a multiplier.